Welcome to the Fireside Giants podcast by Empire Sports Media. And I know all of you are thrilled as well, but today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Let's do a fan mailbag. Alex, I know that you went on Twitter, you let out a tweet, and you had Giants fans and Fireside Giants viewers leave you some questions for us to answer today to preview this week one matchup. So that's what we're going to be doing in this episode, answering your questions. And if you want to be featured in the next mailbag, make sure to go follow us on Twitter at Anthony underscore Rivardo, at Alex Wilson ESM, and at Fireside Giants to make sure that you don't miss the next time we ask for your questions. So we're going to go ahead and dive into your questions. But before we do all that, make sure to leave a like if you do enjoy this episode. Subscribe to the channel if you are new. Ring the bell so you don't miss an episode and comment your thoughts on this topic down below in the comment section. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please make sure to leave us a five-star review and go ahead and follow us on all of our social media channels at Fireside Giants. But without further ado, Alex, how are you doing today, my friend? And what is the first mailbag question that we are going to answer? I'm doing great, man, and I wanted to, uh, you know, it's kind of slow news right now, obviously. Some minor stuff kind of trickling in, obviously, like Daniel Jones restructuring and the Giants open up a little bit of salary space, but ultimately um, thinking about the future, thinking about a couple days from now, how my my draft last night ended up with B. John Robinson and um, Garrett Wilson's my first two picks. Very happy about that. Really high on both of those guys. Um, and then I ended up with none other than Darren Waller and Daniel Jones as my quarterback and tight end. I think Waller, I mean, Waller's basically a wide receiver one I think that he may end up as long as he stays healthy he's probably going to be one of the best uh, tight ends in the game because he's basically a receiver in our offense um, so I'm feeling pretty good about that and then Daniel Jones with the running game as well I feel like this this offense I was I was hanging um, you know one of the guys in my league is a Cowboys fan and I was talking a lot of shit last night I gotta say he thinks that the Dallas Cowboys are gonna wash us he thinks that they got so much better I'm like you got like 35 year old Brandon Cooks as, as the only other guy you added to this to that team your offensive line's gotten worse your left guard Tyler Smith is injured I don't know what they're thinking what they're talking about I don't know what they're thinking over there but they're I like don't don't sleep on us bro like we got better a lot better and we're going to talk about some of those variables here but the first question not so much giants related but us related so david east um on twitter says just wondering what do you guys do full time so for those wondering that what we do full time this is what we do full time um you know i have i'm the founder of empire sports media anthony is the managing editor there and also the head giants content creator alongside myself so we have um, some big, some big roles in our own little, in our own little bubble, our own little world. Um, but we've created some full-time jobs for ourselves, which is really, really exciting. And I hope you guys are enjoying all the content that we offer. But Anthony, unless you answer that question too, you know, um, people wondering what we actually do on a day-to-day basis. Maybe they're interested to hear what you actually do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, well, I'm really grateful to do what I do on a day-to-day basis, which is managing editor and full-time content creator for the New York Giants at EmpireSportsMedia.com. Of course, I edit articles, I write articles, I produce social media content, and of course, I do Fireside Giants for all of you loyal viewers. And that's pretty much the gist of my day-to-day, making sure that the articles that we post are of the utmost quality and making sure that I'm writing to the highest quality uh, that I possibly can, and of course, delivering a podcast that all of you enjoy to listen to. So that's pretty much what I do every single day. That's my full-time job, and I love it, and I'm grateful, and I'm blessed. I talk about the New York Giants for a living. What more could I ask for? That's a good point. It's a very good point. Now, talking about the Yankees for a living, which is partially what I do, has not been as fun lately. Um, In fact, some might say it's mental hospital-esque. But looking at the next question here, so by Tej Patel, 
really interesting question because I think it definitely goes into week one and also the kind of curiousness about this cornerback situation. He asks, on a scale of one to ten, how worried are you, are, are you about the starting two CBs, the rookie CBs, that is, um, against C.D. Lamb, Brandon Cooks, and Michael Gallup? I understand they did good in the preseason, but this game could get ugly uh, quickly and could get ugly badly. So I'll say this. As long as we put pressure on Dak Prescott, he's going to make mistakes, and we're going to be able to turn the football over. Um, Brandon Cooks is traditionally a 1,000-yard receiver, like, year in and year out. Has had some issues with concussions and injuries. But nonetheless, he's a good player, and I think that he's going to be a nice piece for that uh, Dallas offense. But, you know, talking about the rookie CBs, you're not going to see them against C.D. Lamb that much. You're going to see a Dory Jackson probably traveling a lot. Um, and then if he goes onto the outside in certain packages, you may see Trey Hawkins go off the field and then Darnay or Cordell come into the slot, depending on how they kind of utilize, um, you know, uh, C.D. Lamb in this game. But we know C.D. Lamb is one of the best receivers in the game. You have to make sure that you're on his case at all times. So David McKinney, Jason Pinnock, you know, guys that are going to be in that little in that safety kind of position, got to be wary of him. But at the same time, like the, you know, they always use their tight ends really, really um, efficiently. I think they have a, a new tight end. I think Dalton Schultz is with the Houston Texans, so they're turning over tight ends a lot. Uh, but you know what? They always find really good options there, and it's it's definitely a situation where like the Giants have to manage that position. But I trust Isaiah Simmons to help in coverage. I, I trust Bobby O'Carrike to help in coverage, so I'm optimistic there. Uh, but at the same time. On the outside, Brandon Cooks, I think you're having Deontay Banks man-marking Brandon Cooks in this game because he's got that speed. Brandon Cooks traditionally very fast, downfield threat. Um, you know, that's where he makes his living, and I think Deontay Banks has the makeup speed, that, you know, 4-3 type of athleticism uh, to match up with him very, very nicely. Um, I think he's also got strength, so, he, you know, it's going to be a challenge because he's a very savvy veteran receiver, but I do like Deontay Banks um, against him in that matchup. Michael Gallup, Trey Hawkins, that's another really good matchup. I think the Cowboys are going to try to pick on Trey Hawkins early and often, and I think Hawkins is up to the challenge. You're in MetLife, you're at home, you got your fans behind you, you have your coaching staff behind you, you have help over the top with Xavier McKinney, who's one of the best free safeties in the game. Um, right now, I feel pretty optimistic that Trey Hawkins is going to hold up. Michael Gallup's good, but he's not great, so I think that, you know, if he could go step for step with Jamison Williams, I don't think Michael Gallup's going to get the best of him personally, so I, I'm pretty excited to see that matchup, but I think that we actually do match up well against Brandon Cooks and uh, Michael Gallup, but when it comes to CeeDee Lamb, I trust Adore Jackson. Like, that's the matchup you want right there, Adore Jackson versus him. So, you know, what are you thinking about that? Well, I'm thinking that in terms of my, my level of fear, 1 to 10, I'd probably give it about a 7. I do think that this could get really ugly really quickly if the Giants rookie corners are not up for the challenge. However, I think that they are up for the challenge. So my level of fear is high. However, I'm confident in Banks. I'm confident in Hawkins. You guys know if you've been watching the channel for a while pre-draft, I was really high on Deontay Banks. That was who I mocked to the Giants in the first round. That's who I wanted them to grab. It was a dream come true for me that the Giants actually landed the Maryland cornerback. So now now Deontay Banks going into this rookie season week one he's got a tough challenge right ahead of him right because I know primarily Adoree Jackson is going to be covering CeeDee Lamb but there will be inevitably a few snaps where CeeDee Lamb is lined up right across from Deontay Banks how does Deontay Banks handle that how does he fare now if you look at his collegiate career he never let up more than 50 yards in a single game throughout the entirety of his career and that includes going up against the likes of Marvin Harrison Jr. so Deontay Banks has been shut down for the entirety of his football career does that continue in week one 
well he's going up against much more difficult competition now with cd lamb michael gallup is a very good receiver and so is brandon cooks despite them not being what they once were those two players are still really efficient at this stage in their careers respectively and now you look at trey hawkins as well sixth round rookie how does he fare in his first regular season contest i do think that he's going to get beat a couple of times it's inevitable you know you're not going to have your rookie cornerbacks go out there and just be completely locked down the entire game so you're going to see Banks and you're going to see Hawkins get beat a few times here and there, but how do they respond? That's what you want to see from rookie cornerbacks because let's take a look back on, you know, and, and reflect on Eli Apple when he was the first round rookie that the Giants drafted at cornerback, right? He would get beat and he would not respond well. He would get frustrated and he would get beat again and again and again. So Deontay Banks, hopefully he gets beat and he bounces back really quickly and is able to get a pass break up here or there because that's a player that plays with confidence. And when he maintains that confidence, he makes one big play for himself he could start compounding on that, start making big plays in succession. And same for Trey Hawkins as well, who's looked really good all summer. So yeah, I do have a high level of fear with this just because I think that Dallas has a very good receiving core. I also think that Dak Prescott, historically speaking, always dominates the New York Giants, has won his last 10 contests against the Giants. So Dak Prescott slowing him down is the key to victory here. And he does have a lot of weapons to work with. But I am confident in Adoree Jackson. I think that he can manage his own against CeeDee Lamb. Is he going to shut him down completely? Probably not. C.D. Lamb. I don't think you can shut him down completely. He's an all-pro talent, but I do think that having Jackson on Lamb is the key to winning that matchup between our secondary and their receiving core, but Banks, Hawkins, they need to rise to the occasion. It's week one. They're getting thrown into the fire, baptized by the fire, so to speak, by going up against this receiving core in their first professional game, but I am confident in them, and I think that if they have a really solid performance, those two rookie cornerbacks, if they turn in solid performances in week one, the Giants will be on their way to victory. Yeah, absolutely. It really may come down to that. It's going to come down to three players. Banks is going to be down to Trey Hawkins and Evan Neal. Those are the three guys that are going to determine how, um, you know, this game pans out. Now, I'm definitely curious. I actually had a crazy dream last night against the Commanders for some reason. I'm like, I was in, it was so weird. It was such a weird dream because I was um, just coming off my fantasy draft. I was just talking about the Giants a lot. So it was like in the forefront of my mind. You know, it's football season when you're dreaming about the Giants winning football games. So the dream was against the Commanders. We started off pretty slow. We were having a tough game, but then we ended up winning in like the final moments. We scored a touchdown to win it. So let's see if that comes to fruition. But it was a super weird kind of dream. And I was like, okay, like this is interesting. Uh, but nonetheless, it is certainly... Um, and it's going to be an important variable for this Giants team. The secondary may hold everything up or it may crumble everything down so that's really what we're looking at right now but uh, this is what firecracker had to say on twitter assuming evan Neal takes a step up which is a big assumption what is the ceiling of the offense and i think that that's a really good question because if evan Neal takes a step forward like an andrew thomas level like you know second year step forward this offense is going to be very good very, very, very good. We have one of the most forward-thinking offenses in the game. Creativity, playmakers, a running quarterback, a star running back, uh, a star tight end. Like, if these guys stay healthy and Evan Neal plays well, I think the ceiling of this offense is top seven in the league, top six in the league, actually. I think that's our peak. That's our, that's our ceiling. Um, our floor is probably average in the league. I think that's where I would put us. And if everything just goes haywire and goes to shit, which would mostly be because of injuries, then we're, that's a whole different conversation. Because any team that gets injured a lot is going to go, you know, down the shitter for the most part. But I feel like the Giants, um, with this, with the players and the health that we do have right now, and Evan Neal hoping to take that big step forward. Now he really thought he did well. He gave up one sack, I believe, this preseason. Uh, but he was like, I thought I felt good. I felt comfortable. I was more flexible. My hand placements were better. My footwork was better. Everything he said was basically like, you know, I did better in this in this uh, preseason. 
so that's good that he's noticing those changes. He's also healthy, which is a big difference because he had the MCL sprain that kind of lingered throughout the 2022 season. Um, it, this offense could be phenomenal if he stays healthy and he stays efficient and he doesn't become a liability. Demarcus Lawrence, Micah Parsons, you can't really stop them every time. You're going to get beat every now and then. But the Giants need to get their guys open faster than the rushers can get to Daniel Jones. We have a lot of good receivers and a lot of speed. That speed is going to equal separation in a lot shorter amount of time. Um, so, you know, Anthony, when you're looking at Evan Neal, what do you think the ceiling, is of, uh, ceiling of this offense really is? And how important is it that he steps up against Dallas in week one? Well, it's huge that he steps up against Dallas in week one. I'll dive into the ceiling of the offense in a second because I think I have a little bit of a different take than you. But in terms of Evan Neal in week one, his importance to this team's success, when you're looking at this Dallas Cowboys defense, it's formidable. It's fearsome. It's pretty scary. I'm not going to lie. You have Micah Parsons, who is arguably the best linebacker, pass rushing linebacker in the NFL. He's an absolute nuisance to play against, right? He's going to get the better of Evan Neal probably on a few reps. Like that's inevitable. He's going to get the better probably of Andrew Thomas on a few reps as well for what it's worth because Micah Parsons is that good. But the problem is that it's not just Micah Parsons on that defensive front that is really good. The Dallas Cowboys have a very good defensive front across the board. They still have Odigi Zua, who's a good defensive lineman. They got Mazay Smith at defensive tackle as well in the first round of this year's draft. And then, of course, you have Demarcus Lawrence, who's been a pest to go up against for the New York Giants for several years. Demarcus Lawrence would routinely get after Eli Manning back in those days. Daniel Jones has, you know, had some success getting around them, except for the fact that on Thanksgiving, this past year, I believe that Demarcus Lawrence had three sacks against the Giants. He had a game to remember on Thanksgiving. He also ended the season with 66 combined tackles. He was really good against the run this year, and that's kind of a big difference maker with Demarcus Lawrence having Micah Parsons to play alongside. Ever since Micah Parsons came to town, Demarcus Lawrence has been able to take a little bit of a backseat in terms of his pass rushing and really amp up his run defending and that's where I get a little bit nervous about Evan Neal versus Demarcus Lawrence it's not necessarily the fact that I think that Demarcus Lawrence is going to be a real handful in the pass rushing department for Evan Neal it's the fact that Evan Neal yes I think he's a good run defender and I think he's definitely taken a step forward in that regard but Demarcus Lawrence is a very good run defender Neal being a good run blocker misspoke there but Demarcus Lawrence is a very good run defender and I don't want him to wreak havoc as the Giants try and run to that strong side um, with Saquon Barkley throughout this game. I think that's a really underrated matchup to keep an eye on, Neil versus Demarcus Lawrence and how he holds up in run defense. But again, Micah Parsons moves all over that Dallas defense. He'll line up over Andrew Thomas. He'll line up over Evan Neal. How does Evan Neal fare against a guy like Micah Parsons will be crucial to this game. And really just managing this entire Dallas front seven, it's a really solid group that they have there, and they're very good at getting after the quarterback. But in terms of the potential of this offense, what Evan Neal means to this offense, I think he means a lot. Because when you look at this team last season, they were really missing two pieces. They were missing a good offensive line with at least three quality starters. I think they have that now. They have Andrew Thomas, they have John Michael Schmitz, and they have Evan Neal if he takes a big step forward. So they've really improved in that regard. But then the other key element that they were missing was Darren Waller. And I think, you know, having an elite receiving playmaker was something that they were missing last season. And now that they have hopefully Evan Neal taking a step forward and Darren Waller being in this lineup, yeah, the Giants offense can be really, really good this season. But in terms of its ceiling, even if if Neil takes that step forward, I don't think that they can really crack that top 10 because when you look at these offenses in the NFL, it is loaded. The Giants, yes, they got Darren Waller. He'll be their de facto wide receiver one. But the only way that I could see this being a top seven offense in the NFL, like you mentioned, Alex, would be if they also had that wide receiver one because the Kansas City Chiefs, Buffalo Bills, Eagles, Lions, Niners, Dolphins, Vikings, Bengals, Chargers, Jaguars, Cowboys even, 
all of these teams had really good offenses last year that's your top 10 and most of those teams actually got better on the offensive side of the ball you look at the Vikings adding Jordan Addison, um, and you look at the Cowboys adding in Brandon Cooks, even you know previewing this week one matchup. So there's a lot of talent in the on the offensive side of the ball in the NFL. So do I think that the Giants are going to have a top seven offense? No, but top 10, I do think is realistic. And I think that a lot of that success really hinges not only on Evan Neal, but also on the dynamic play of Darren Waller. Absolutely. So let's take one last question here from Twitter, and then we'll head over to Instagram. We'll do some rapid fire. Um, so Justin Quazada says, hey, Alex, curious to see what you made you get into the Giants and sports content in general. Also, what's your favorite New York sports moment? Um, love the content. So appreciate that, Justin. Um, and then, you know, I'll roll it over to you, Anthony, as well. So what, get, what made me get into the Giants and sports content was essentially, um, you know, when I was in college, no idea how I was going to get into the sports industry. Didn't have any connections, really. Didn't really have, um, you know, those links into a really competitive marketplace that was difficult to crack, like trying to get those internships and whatnot. So I was like, you know what, screw this. I'm just going to start my own thing, start a blog, and, you know, started it through class and ultimately kind of developed into something really cool and really special that's offered a lot of opportunity to a lot of people, um, including myself. So I think it's been just a great journey and, and something that, like, sometimes when you feel like there's nothing there in front of you. Sometimes when you feel like uh, there's no road, you have to pave your own path. You know, you got to lay the bricks yourself. You can't you can't take somebody else's path. You can't always take um, you know the the road that's traveled. Sometimes you got to take the road that's less traveled. Sometimes you got to just pave that thing yourself and, and create something out of nothing. Um, and sometimes you can create something pretty freaking special out of it. So that's kind of what has developed um, up until today. And a lot has happened since then. So it's pretty exciting. But you know, getting to the Giants, I've always been. Um, a Giants fan since I was born. My neighbors were Giants fans. Uh, we were Giants fans for Halloween when I was like three years old. Like that's how it's always been. You know what I mean? So we were we were actually Giants players. I think when I was five, big ass freaking helmet. Uh, it was hilarious. So you know they, they've always been a part of my life. You know I was growing up when they won those Super Bowls, and like I'll never forget. You know, when you're young and you have those those key moments in your life. You know, even when you're older and you have those adrenaline moments where like you know. Tyreek, uh, you know, not Tyreek Hill, but, um, you know, David Tyree makes that catch. Eli Manning gets out of that sack. Mario Manningham makes that catch on the sideline. Victor Cruz gets, catches a touchdown. That's, you know what I mean? Like, that, that 99-yard touchdown that Cruz had against the Jets on Christmas Day, I was at that game. Those moments, you never forget them. And you never forget not only what you saw, but how you felt, you know, the emotion behind it. And I remember when Tyree caught that ball, I physically fell out of my chair. I was like, 11 years old at the time. I was 12 years old. I was really young. Maybe I was a little bit older. No, no, I was, I guess, 2007. Yeah, I was like 11 years old. And for an 11-year-old, I was impacted by that more than I can even recall. I remember the emotion of just pure like, whole, and I still get that feeling today. You know what I mean? That same feeling you got when you were 11 years old, falling out of your chair, seeing what just happened, till you're, you're 28 years old. I'm 27 now, but like you're 27 years old, and you still get that same exact feeling when Daniel Jones rushes in or, or Saquon bulldozes two guys into the end zone, or you know, hopefully Darren Waller or Andrew Thomas catches a touchdown because nobody else can. Um, I feel like maybe that, like those kind of moments you still feel that same emotion, which is pretty awesome. So, like, I've always just been attracted to the game because of that adrenaline high and because, like, you know, that passion just never goes away. You experience those positive emotions at such a young age. I think if I was a Jets fan and I only experienced pain and suffering, I probably would have left it back behind me a long time ago. But as a Giants fan, having experienced such great, bright moments at such a young age, it just locked me in for life. You know, after that, it was over. I was done. Like, I was going to be a Giants fan forever. Uh, so, Anthony, you know, what, what is your perspective on that? What got you into, you know, being a Giants fan and into content in general. 
Well, and to being a Giants fan, I was born a Giants fan. You know, I come from a family full of Giants fans. My uncle was a big influence on me in that regard. He's always been a lifelong Giants fan. Growing up, we used to watch a lot of New York Giants football together, but my mom is also a huge Giants fan. In terms of my greatest memories watching the Giants. Well, I'll never forget when Eli Manning got absolutely pummeled in that 2011 conference championship game, eventually went on to lead the team to a victory. I just remember when that kick went up through the uprights. Shout out to Lawrence Tyne for kicking us to the the Super Bowl and just being so happy and so excited, calling my uncle because we weren't able to watch that game together, calling him on the phone. I had like tears in my eyes. I'm a young kid. I'm so happy that the Giants are going to the Super Bowl. And then of course, them winning the Super Bowl. I have a really distinct memory because I did watch that with my uncle. My uncle friend came with me when Justin Tuck got that sack and he did his signature bow I got up and I bowed with my uncle's friend and that's like just one of those core memories that sticks out from that Super Bowl but so many phenomenal memories watching the Giants I've been to a number of Giants games I was there when Odell Beckham had a hat trick against the Miami Dolphins in Miami Um, big long touchdown I got a great video of him making that sideline toe tap grab in the end zone and so many many great memories and probably one of my favorites while watching the Giants live in person was Daniel Jones's first start, that comeback, it was just such a roller coaster of emotions at the end of that game. Um, I was there in Tampa Bay, and you know, it looked like the Giants had won it. He led them down, game-winning drive. Then it looked like they had lost it when they gave up that huge play to Mike Evans deep downfield. Then Tampa Bay missed the field goal, so then I was back on the moon and really happy. So that was just probably the biggest roller coaster of emotions that I've ever experienced uh, while watching a football game. And I was there in person to watch Daniel Jones make his first start, get his first win. And that was really exciting. So those are some of my favorite memories watching the Giants. But what got me in the content creation, just one day, senior in high school, I was scrolling through Twitter, saw this guy, Alex Wilson, tweeting about the Giants. I was following him for a few weeks or a few months, whatever the case might be. Then he tweeted out, hey, I'm, I'm starting this blog. I need writers. And I was like, you know what? I'm an AP Lang. I'm a great writer. Let me try my hand in some sports journalism. So sent him a message on Twitter, and that was the start of something new. And ever since then, I've been a member of the ESM team, and I've been here on Fireside Giants creating content with my partner in crime, Alex. So the, the moral of that story, guys, if you're, if you're listening to this, is don't be afraid to just shoot your shot. Take that chance. Send that Twitter DM if you think it could be something um, in your career. And, you know, just, just take those opportunities and really grab them by the horns and make the most of them. Absolutely. Well said, well said, my friend. Let's dive into some Instagram uh, questions. We'll do just a little bit of rapid fire. So from Matt Fetzer, could the Giants potentially have four-plus players with over eight sacks? I mean, I could see Dexter Lawrence doing it. I could see Leo doing it. I could see Kayvon doing it. And I could see Aziz Ojolari doing it. So if they get all eight sacks, the, the short answer is absolutely. I could see it happening. Is it likely? Probably not. Uh, but you know what? Anything's possible. Those guys are all ridiculous talented pass rusher so like yes I could see it happening what are your thoughts on that I could see it happening too and I'd even say you know five is a possibility don't forget about Leonard Williams as well you know you've got Aziz you've got or maybe you said a Leonard Williams but I don't know but yes I could see it happening four eight plus sack members um I think that Thibodeau takes a big step this year and he should definitely reach eight um Dexter Lawrence that would be a career high for him but I could see him doing it we've seen Leonard Williams crack double digits before and if Aziz Ojolari does stay healthy I think that he absolutely could crack 10 sacks this year as well so I'm really excited about this group of pass rushers that the Giants have 
Absolutely. So next one is Miller uh, Dunhill. Does Daniel Jones go for 4,000 passing yards and 40 touchdowns? I think 4,000 passing yards I could see happening. 40 touchdowns would be an absolute blessing. Now you're talking about a top seven, top maybe top five offense at that point. Daniel Jones those 40 touchdowns. My God, we're in for we're gonna win the freaking Super Bowl if you because that means he is on absolute freaking fire. And we know last year the Giants had one of the top touchdown conversion rates now it's about getting to the red zone a little bit more frequently and then converting in the red zone so uh, hopefully they can maintain that success rate while also getting into the red zone um, a lot more in 2023 but you know 4,000 yards definitely could see it 40 touchdowns let's settle for 30 let's start at 30 and then go from there yeah, 4,000 yards. If we're combining rushing and passing, he should definitely crack 4,000 yards. I think that, you know, the 700 rushing yards that he had last year, he should have comparable numbers in that regard this season. So maybe around 700. But I do see him throwing for more yardage this year. Um, he had a career high of 3,205 yards last year. I think that it pushes up to 3,500. And I think that he finishes with around 30 total touchdowns, not 40. I think he probably ends up with about 25 to 30 range in the passing touchdowns maybe 26 27 and probably 5 to 10 range for the rushing touchdowns so should be a good year out of Daniel Jones I'm very high on him contrary to the belief of some commenters in yesterday's episode I'm very high on Daniel Jones I think he's gonna be a top 10 quarterback this year I truly believe that um, but 40 touchdowns seems like a little bit of a stretch considering the fact that the Giants still have Saquon Barkley who's probably good for double digit touchdowns this year on the ground yeah, I, I agree with that. Now, looking over at Michael Rosenbaum, do, the, do you think Isaiah Simmons will have four to six sacks and around 100, 110 tackles? Um, let's start with this. Four to six sacks, I could see that. Uh, 100-plus tackles, I do not see that happening. I don't think he's starting at linebacker for us um, this year, at least anytime soon, unless Michael McFadden gets hurt or like Simmons just plays his way into that starting LB2 role. I could see Bobby Okereke having 100-plus tackles. I think that's probably realistic. But McFadden, I could see him getting 80, 85, maybe 90. But Isaiah Simmons, I just don't think he's going to be a big part of the offense, at least for the first couple of weeks. But yes, as a pass rusher, I think they're going to do a lot with him in that regard. I think they're going to have him attack, overwhelm, go after the running backs, um, you know, go after those tight ends that are trying to block. And I think he can actually get four to six sacks. I think that actually is realistic. In terms of tackles, I'm looking for 40. I'm looking for 40 tackles and four to six sacks, and that would mean they're using him as um, a pass rusher in really unique kind of concepts and um, sub packages, and he's also getting involved in the run game and making some tackles and coverage. I think that's probably where I'm settling with that. Yeah, and I think that I agree with you there. I think that Isaiah Simmons is going to start out as a package player for the New York Giants, meaning that he's not on the field on a down-to-down basis. I think that he's going to be worked in on certain sub-packages. If the Giants are in dime defense and they want to line him up um, in, a, in a precarious position, whether that be on the edge or whether that be in the nickel, you know, he's just kind of one of those players that can do it all. And I know that the Giants have said that they intend to use him in more of a traditional linebacker aspect, but I still think that if you're not utilizing his skill set and the fact that he can play all over the defense, you're not utilizing his skill set properly. So I, I anticipate that the Giants will move him around, make him a package player, put him in for certain um, sub packages that they're going to play. But the four sacks does sound very realistic to me, considering what we saw in that preseason game against the Jets. They were blitzing him frequently. He got to the quarterback for a quarterback hit. Um, of course, uh, Aaron Rodgers evaded the sack, but he still got there and pressured the quarterback. So the four sacks sounds realistic, but I honestly think 30 to 40 tackles is probably more realistic because I think it's more comparable to, you know, a package player like when you look at O'Shane Zimenez's stats last year 24 combined tackles two sacks I expect Simmons to be on the field a little bit more than that and have a little bit more productivity so I think that the four sacks 40 tackles is probably more realistic benchmark 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I definitely think that yeah, we're on the same page with that. Now, the next question is from Lucas Quatrochi. Quatrochi? Quatrochi? Or Quatrochi, I think. I don't know. You'd let me know if you're listening. Um, who do you believe will end up emerging as the wide receiver one for the Giants? Or do, be, do you believe that they will get one in the offseason next year? I think that they're hoping that Darren Waller is that guy. I think they're hoping that Waller is a WR one. We may, if he cracks a thousand yards, that's our wide receiver one, guys. Like that's it's subjective. You know, six plus touchdowns, thousand yards. That's wide receiver one for us. I think it's very much possible. Um, now, I think long term they would prefer to have an actual WR one. Uh, maybe Hyatt ends up becoming that guy. You know what I mean? Maybe Hyatt does end up becoming a WR one as he refines his skill set, refines his route running, gets chemistry with Daniel Jones. Like maybe we'll see that type of development and growth from him. That would be the best case scenario. Now you keep Waller and you have another top budding receiver in Hyatt who could be a superstar for you. You know what I mean? He's got the speed. Now it's about refining his other qualities. So personally, I see Waller as being the WR one. But I think they're going to spread the ball around a lot. You know, I think Waller's going to command a lot of double teams. You're going to see a lot of these guys get involved. Paris Campbell, Wandale's coming back. Um, Daniel Bellinger's an under-the-radar guy I wrote about this morning. Like, everyone keeps forgetting that Bellinger's a freaking good pass catcher, guys. He had a, a, almost an 87% catch rate last year. He's got really good hands. He's a really good athlete. He's a really good blocker. Like, that... Like, don't forget about Bellinger. He's going to be a force on this offense. While everyone's looking at Darren Waller and him running across the field... Bellinger's going to be sitting there in the flats, sitting there on those hook routes, wide freaking open. Because you can't you can't cover everybody. And especially when you have guys like Darren Waller, who if you put a slot cornerback on him and just throw it high, it's his. If you put a linebacker on him, see you later. If you put a cornerback on him, now you have to take a cornerback away from Jalen Hyatt and Darius Slayton. You're screwed. You know what I mean? Like, there's too much... Uh, weaponry here to let Bellinger like it's going to be a lo- really nice for Bellinger to kind of sneak in and have a good impact there got a little of a, a little bit of a tangent but uh, I do see Darren Waller as a WR1 what do you think about that yeah in terms of production I think that Darren Waller is intended to be their primary receiving weapon he'll have that WR1 production but in terms of who will be the number one wide receiver on this team outside of Darren Waller since he is listed as their tight end I think that it's going to be Darius Slayton and I think Darius Slayton is a dark horse thousand yard receiver this year I'm going to keep saying that not saying that it's likely but an outside chance that he could top 1,000 receiving yards he was on pace to do it last year he looks like a significantly improved player at training camp and he's entering his fifth season in an offense that's really starting to click. Daniel Jones is really ascending into franchise quarterback status. Um, He and Jones have excellent chemistry. They always have. And we talked to Drew Lieberman, uh, Darius Slayton's wide receiver coach, a few weeks ago, and he gave us some great insight on Slayton's offseason routine and workout regimen. And this guy is prepared. He is ready. He's been training hard. His hands should not be a problem anymore in terms of drops. And I do think that Darius Slayton has a really big season in store. So he's usually averaged around 750 receiving yards per season in his career. I think that he can do that once again with ease and maybe even top it, push to the eight, 900 range and maybe, just maybe crack a thousand receiving yards. But when you're looking at this offense, Alex, Darren Waller, Darius Slayton, if they can get 2000 yard receivers out of this offense, then, you know, circling back to that ceiling that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, they can be a top seven in the league. And it's not outside of the realm of possibility that the Giants do decide to go find another thousand yard receiver next offseason, considering Darren Waller coexisted quite well with uh, Devontae Adams over in Las Vegas. Absolutely. Let's take two more questions here. What will a contract for Xavier McKinney look like from CC Kleinfelter? Um, ultimately, we don't know just yet. It's really going to depend on his on his uh, performance this season. Uh, but if I had to guess, I'm giving him like a three year, 
thirteen million per season deal, maybe with incentives to get to thirteen. Um, I don't necessarily like investing a lot at the free safety position. I think that it's a it's kind of a luxury to invest a lot there. I think the Giants could probably draft someone in the second round, and maybe they're going to get Xavier McKinney type of value, but they can certainly keep the cost a lot down. And look. Look at the contracts that they're handing out. Like Jamal Adams, that contract, massive mistake. Um, you look at, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick's another level. He's the best free safety in, in the game, arguably. Um, you got like guys like, like Jesse Bates. You know, you have some really good talented players, Buda Baker. But I just don't think that Xavier McKinney is any of those guys. You know what I mean? I don't think he's Minka Fitzpatrick. I don't think he's Jesse Bates. I don't think he's Buda Baker when you in, in his prime. I just don't think he's that is that level. I think he's tier two, and I think tier two guys, he'll land in the $13, $14 million range. Maybe there's incentives to get there, but I just don't think Joe Shane's going to give him that much. You know, If they wanted to pay him, he would have already been paid. That's what I'm getting – I'm kind of starting to realize in this Giants front office is that if they like guys enough, they get paid. If they think think the positional value is there, they get paid. Andrew Thomas, Dexter Lawrence, Daniel Jones, those guys got paid. Um, Look at the smaller deals. Darius Slayton, two years, $12 million. You know, it's not a lot. So looking at Xavier McKinney, they're like, we're not even talking about that right now. Maybe it'll start at some point in the season. But I think they're just like leaving the door open to see if it comes in cheaper. I just think that if they were going to sign him, it already would have happened, which means to me, they don't see the value there. They Or at least they don't see it yet. It could change if he has a ridiculous season. Um, but at the end of the day, like that's telling to me. And I think that Maybe if, if they were going to give him a contract, I would I would probably land in the range of like three years, maybe $36 million. And, you know, maybe half, I don't know how much guarantee, maybe half of it's guarantee. They have an out after the second season. That's kind of where I would go with that. But I'm not, you know, he, he's been a little bit inconsistent. The injury last year, I like him a lot. He's made a couple of really nice plays for us. But I do think that it's a luxury to overspend at free safety. So, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I think it'll be interesting. Again, like you said, it's very dependent on how he performs this season. But if I had to put a ballpark number on Xavier McKinney's annual average value, um, I think that he's going to land around $10 million. Now, if he has a really good dominant all-pro season, that can balloon up to $16 million per year. If he has a lackluster season, it can fall down to around 6 to $8 million per year. But I want to say that $10 million is that happy middle ground. If he has just a good year, um, like one that's expected of him, and he gets that long-term contract with the Giants, I think it would come in around 10 to $12 million. Uh, per season so if you're keeping an eye on McKinney this season trying to project what his contract would look like I think around 10 million to 12 million dollars per season is the likely bet but again it's really dependent on how he plays the season if he plays the full season stays healthy and if he has another dominant year like he had in 2021 with five interceptions if he does that again he could balloon that contract up quite significantly but right now if I had to guess it's gonna be around 10 to 12 million per year yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Now let's take a look at one last question. Um, this guy says, am I the number one Giants, Fireside Giants fan? You may just be, but I think we have a lot of really, really awesome fans here. So I appreciate that love as always. Let's see. Will, will Saquon be in the Giants uniform in 2024? Ah, man, I don't even want to get into that. Let's skip that one for now. We'll revisit that later on in the future. Um, let's see. How many? I don't really. Okay, we'll do this one. How about Ben Goldbach? How many touchdowns will Jalen Hyatt have in the regular season? Um... I think that as a red zone threat, we're not going to see him primarily like inside the 10-yard line. I'm not expecting him to be like their primary target. I'm thinking like 20-plus yards. Like, it, like you know, they're inside the opposing half. 
they're going to be targeting him deep. They're going to be trying to get him behind the defense. Um, I think that he'll get some nice bubble screens that they'll let him try to take to the crib. But I don't think that he's going to be like a primary red zone offensive threat. I think that he could be. Um, but I, I do visualize Darren Waller being that guy. I do visualize Juan Dale being that guy. Sterling Shepard making an impact there. I do see Paris Campbell and, and kind of this uh, utility role helping on jet sweeps and doing kind of unique things there. And I also see... Um, you know, Isaiah Hodgins. Hodgins is the guy. Like, he was the guy last year. Like, four or five, um, you know, ultimately four or five touchdowns in that six-week span that he was with us. Like, he was awesome. And then you look at Daniel Bellinger. He's another big body. Like, we have so many offensive threats in the red zone, at the goal line. I think those are going to be the primary guys. I can see Jalen High ending with, like, I'm going to go 750 yards and four touchdowns. I feel like that's a good rookie season. I think that's fair. You know, what are you thinking about that? I think four touchdowns is a, is a decent ballpark range, four, five, six, somewhere in there. I think on the high end, um, I mean, if he explodes, if he has the rookie of the year campaign that a lot of Giants fans are hoping for, you're talking eight to 10 touchdowns. But realistically, he's a rookie. He's he's not going to be much more than a deep threat, a big playmaker for the Giants this season because he is getting us acclimated to the NFL game. He doesn't have a full route tree. He's not going to be able to make that impact at all three levels just yet. So, um, or at least I don't think. I hope he proves me wrong and he can make that impact. But I think that's going to take a little bit of time and development for Jalen Hyatt. So I think that realistically, around five touchdowns um, is what he secures this year. I think probably three or four of those five touchdowns are deep 40-plus yard shots. And then the other one, or two is probably he takes a screen pass or a drag route uh, about 20 yards up the field and scores a touchdown with that elite speed that he has. So there, it's going to be interesting to see how the Giants utilize Jalen Hyatt. I think that his skill set is really starting to, to develop from what we've seen in the preseason and in training camp. He's becoming a much better route runner than he clearly was at Tennessee, which I think is hugely important for this Giants offense if he can kind of add more to his game. But Hyatt, man, High potential boomer bust player coming out of the draft. And right now in this week one matchup with the Dallas Cowboys, I think he might be the key to, to winning this game. I mean, the Giants have been unable to generate those explosive plays against Dallas for the last several seasons. But you've got a guy like Trayvon Diggs who, yes, is a great cornerback. He's great at sitting in those zone defenses and becoming a, an interception merchant, right? Like he can stand there. He can get those interceptions, jump some passes, make some plays. But realistically, if you take a look at Trayvon Diggs' tape, he does get burnt rather frequently in one-on-one man-to-man matchups. So the Giants' goal here is going to be to get their fastest player, Jalen Hyatt, in a one-on-one matchup with Trayvon Diggs and try to get him burnt like a piece of toast on one of those plays. That's going to be the goal. And if Jalen Hyatt's able to make one of those big explosive plays, just run a post-corner route and toast Trayvon Diggs for a deep touchdown, that can be the difference between winning and losing. The Giants have to make it a point to score more explosive plays, have more explosive plays, score more explosive explosive touchdowns in 2023, and Jalen Hyatt will be the main catalyst to doing that and achieving that goal. So week one, that's one of my favorite matchups to keep an eye on. Whenever we see Trayvon Diggs and man coverage one-on-one on Jalen Hyatt, let's hope and pray that we see Daniel Jones unleash a deep nuclear bomb to Jalen Hyatt for a big-time touchdown. Absolutely. Well, I think that kind of wraps up our uh, mailbag section. We had 38 minutes of questions, so feeling like we got a lot done, feeling like we got a lot of questions answered. We have a lot more. Instagram's just popping off right now with questions, so we'll have to do another one soon to get get the other guys in there. Um, But we appreciate all the questions, as always, Anthony. Now uh, I'll let you wrap it up. 
Yeah, of course, thanks everyone for sending in your questions for this week's mailbag. We will be doing more, hopefully doing these on a weekly basis going forward. So appreciate everybody for your comments and make sure to stay tuned to all of our social media channels so you can leave questions for our next mailbag episodes. But that pretty much wraps this one up. Make sure to leave a like if you did enjoy this episode. Subscribe to the channel if you are new. Ring the bell so you don't miss an episode and comment your thoughts on these topics down below in the comment section. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please make sure to leave us a five-star review and go ahead and follow us on all of our social media channels at Fireside Giants. But without further ado, we will catch you all in the next one. Have a good one and let's go Giants.